Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. We are in the midst of a two-part series here on Between Biologics and Biosimilars. So let's move to biosimilars, which I know are a hot topic for a lot of the patient population. Uh, What is a biosimilar and how does it differ from a traditional biologic? So biosimilars are biologics that are produced and marketed by a competitor. So the the concept of of, of biosimilars is, is very similar to generic drugs for the small molecules that we um, um, that we already talked about, but it's it's slightly different. And the, the difference is that with with small molecules that have a formula, uh, it's it's very straightforward to produce um, a, a drug that is identical to the original drug. The biologics that are produced by producer cell lines um, are slightly different depending on what kind of producer cell line is 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 used to to generate the product and and also it's impacted by um, the 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 conditions of of how uh, the these cells are um, uh, are, are, are 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 used to 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 make the, the the biologic and and because of that the biosimilars are not 100 percent identical to the original drug. So um, you'll hear different terms of original, originator, um, uh, reference product. So these are all the the, uh, similar terms uh, that refer to the original medication. Uh, So for instance, Humira is the reference product. Uh, And then once the patent for, for the reference product uh, has expired, um, competitive, competing companies can produce um, a biologic that has the same amino acid sequence and is uh, uh, very similar to the to the uh, to the reference product. But because it is produced in a different cell line, it may not be hundred percent identical. So for the um, people who know a bit more about biology. Um, proteins can, for instance, be modified by the addition of um, carbohydrate residues that are attached at various parts of the of the molecule, and and so where these modifications happen uh, is determined by the cell line and and the um, the uh, the conditions how how this cell line is actually grown in culture. So, are they safe? Yes, they are safe. So that there are uh, regulations uh, for, um, you, you know, what what companies need to do uh, um, in order to bring a biosimilar to the market. Um, so that includes a clinical trial, where they have to show that the biosimilar is equally uh, effective uh, as the uh, reference product in one disease where. The reference product is um, has has approval, and once that has happened, then they can apply for 
um, uh, approval of the of the of the biosimilar, not just for this one disease, but for all of the other diseases where the reference product uh, is approved. Um, so, so this this just affects uh, or addresses the question of are the biosimilars efficacious? Right. Um, but you know, safety is something that requires uh, observation over longer period of, periods of time. Um, but we have now a substantial number of years uh, of experience uh, internationally with, with biosimilars. And um, so uh, th there are no specific safety signals that, that have shown up. Obviously, um, if we talk about uh, potential adverse events with biologics, the biosimilars have exactly the same potential issues. So an increased risk for infections with the reference product will be mirrored by an increased risk for certain infections with the biosimilar. But, but there are no specific uh, danger signals when um, using a, a biosimilar compared to the reference product. That's really good news. I know there were a lot of concerns for patient population early on in the biosimilars discussion. So it's really good news that we're getting some data together. Uh, so in terms of affordability, um, are biosimilars something that make medications more accessible to populations who couldn't previously access them? Well, that's the idea. Okay. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like for, 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 for generic drugs, generic blood pressure medications, um, this, this, this concept works very well because generic drugs are substantially cheaper than the, the, uh, the original medication. Um, the, the idea with biosimilars is the same. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't seem to work as well, in particular in the U.S. Um, so um, we um, have uh, biosimilars now. But because of the complexity of the of the marketplace for uh, medications in the U.S., the uptake of biosimilars seems to be relatively slow, and because of that, the, um, the and 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 also at the same time, it doesn't really translate into into major cost savings um, for patients or for the healthcare system. But the, the, the idea of, of, of biosimilars is exactly that, that you have multiple manufacturers that then compete with a similar uh, medication, which then drives the prices down. That, that's the idea, but it doesn't seem to work uh, uh, just yet. And is that situation one of the bigger challenges facing adoption of biosimilars because they haven't come down in price. So it may be, it may be less motivating to make a change. Uh, that's, that's, I'm, I'm sure that this is one of, one of the reasons th th there's a number of factors that, that, uh, that affect, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the switch, uh, from, from reference products to, to biosimilars. Um, when the biosimilars first appeared a few years ago, I think there was also a lot of resistance um, on the side of, of rheumatologists and physicians because 
um, they weren't sure how these uh, biosimilars, how they would perform and what the efficacy and safety issues are. Um, I, 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 but I think that uh, since then, um, you know, time has moved on. We have more information available. Um, and that is uh, um, resulting in, 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 in a change of, of attitude. But obviously, uh, another major factor is um, cost. So if there is a, a, a cost benefit for um, the, the, the patients, um, then they would, I'm sure, uh, willing to, to, to switch uh, from, uh, you know, the, the reference product to a biosimilar more easily. Um, but uh, uh, that does, as far as I know, um, in, in many cases, that, that is not the, uh, not the, the case because um, the, um, the biosimilars and the, the reference products are in the same tier and so, so there is often no price difference for, for, for the patient. Interesting. So as a patient is maybe hearing this discussion with their provider, uh, what role do those providers play in really education and uh, support around switch to a biosimilar? So based on what we know from other parts of the world in Europe, for instance, um, there's the potential for major cost savings when switching from uh, reference products to biosimilars. But the healthcare system needs to be organized in a way that uh, permits these cost savings to materialize. Um, what, what I for, for the from the uh, for the individual patient, the important thing is that there is no need to be afraid when um, the the question comes up. Um, uh, you you are either you you are starting a new medication, and the uh, you know the the choice is between a reference product and a biosimilar. Um, there, there there's no need to be worried. Or be afraid uh, with um, going with a uh, biosimilar. Similarly, when the question comes up to switch from the reference product to a biosimilar, um, you know the, this, the the information that we have now really uh, suggests that that this is safe, and um, and 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 the the biosimilars are equally efficacious as the as the reference product so so really that there's no need to to worry about that all right so now that a patient is on a biologic they're feeling better what happens next do they stay on it or yeah that's that's a question that that often comes up uh, uh, even before we start a biologic i often get asked the question uh, do i have to stay on this for the rest of my life um, so the, there, there, are, there are two strategies to, to, uh, um, that one can follow if the medication works well. Um, one is to taper the, the dosing, so inject the biologic less frequently, or alternatively, stop it completely. And this has been looked at by uh, many studies over the last few years. 
And the, the bottom line is that reducing the frequency uh, is a strategy that can be useful and can be done without losing um, the, the effect, the, the clinical effect of the drug. So for instance, instead of injecting every two weeks um, in individual patients, it may be sufficient to inject every three weeks or every four weeks. On the other hand, um, consistently studies have shown that um, stopping uh, the biologic altogether uh, carries a pretty high risk for a flare. Um, so there was a number of um, uh, randomized trials that looked at this. Uh, so they uh, included patients who did well. They were in remission on a biologic and then they were randomized to continue with the biologic or they injected placebo and it was a blinded study. So they didn't know about it. And so these studies showed that um, uh, over the course of one year, uh, 50 to 75 percent, roughly, of patients relapsed, and and they um, um, they they so they they became symptomatic. Fortunately, uh, in the majority of those cases, um, the they their symptoms responded well to reintroduction of the of the medication. Um, but they, as I said, the the risk for having a relapse and developing symptoms is is pretty high when you stop the drug stop the drug altogether um, because we we don't cure we just suppress the disease so my recommendation would be um, to discuss this with the rheumatologist what the best strategy is um, and um, that also has something to do with the uh, uh, willingness of 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 the patient to um, um, you know to to have a a, a flare um, when when stopping a medication and so so that is a very individual uh, um, decision to to take. I generally recommend against discontinuation of the drug um, because um, of the high flare risk. That's. I think an, an experience many of us have had, but it's good to know that the reintroduction helps. So thank you for that. Great news. Um, so in wrapping up, anything else you want to share on this topic before we uh, we wrap it and let you go on? I know you've done a ton of great research and uh, I'm grateful for the work you do uh, and for the community, but anything you want to tell us before we let you off the chair out of the hot seat <laughs> over the last 20 years the uh, treatment options for spinal arthritis have um, dramatically improved um, we have three uh, major drug classes now available to treat axial spinal arthritis and some additional drugs to treat uh, peripheral spinal arthritis uh, and that's all great but uh, we still need um, more research. I think it would be good to still have uh, additional treatment uh, modalities available because the drugs that we have don't work for everyone. And the, 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 the other thing is we, we also 
are nowhere near a cure. So the medications that we have suppress the disease process, uh, but in most cases, when we stop the medication, then um, the disease and the symptoms come back. And uh, so ultimately, I hope that we will be able to not just um, you know, treat symptoms and suppress the disease, but, but actually uh, um, get a cure so, so that um, the symptoms are gone in the absence of uh, um, permanent treatment. I think most of us would agree. So we can land on that note. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to have you and see you again. Uh, yeah, again, appreciate all the work you've done in the community and continue to do uh, Spartan and have a great time at ACR. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.